Welcome to Sweeping the Country, once again, the podcast designed for you. And today on the show, boy, a very special vault edition, Jimmy. I mean, this is huge. Well, for radio geeks and people who love radio, these two voices are the two most successful voices of the last 50 years Indeed. on radio. One had a syndicated program that I also had a TV, yeah, but he had time, a yeah. big radio show that was heard by millions and millions of people, a 15 million estimated audience at one Jeez. point, most listened to radio show in the United States and an author. Then the other guy, he had at least that many listening to him yeah. with his segments called Paul Harvey News and Comment. He ran them in the morning. That was, I think, 10 or 15 minutes in the morning. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was just five minutes. I don't even know what it was I now in the, in the early morning, like seven or eight. But then he did like 15 minutes in the noontime hour. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. Uh, then he had a book called The Rest of the Story that his son had something to do with. But both these people are great. And let's start it out with Rush Limbaugh. Uh, Rush Limbaugh passed away not that long ago, February 17th of 2021 at the age of 70. Controversial. Yes, no doubt yeah. about it. Uh, you either loved him or you hated him, uh, and you and you had pretty strong feelings about both sides of that. He was uh, he was one of it, but you'd have to admit, even if you hate him, he was one of the most influential broadcasters of oh, the yeah. last twenty five years. He was a lightning rod. Yes, uh, he was a left. lightning rod, <laughs> and he was boy. And would he have been even more in trouble? Because he surely wasn't woke. And he certainly wasn't politically correct. No, he was and not. he had all, early on, he was, he was worse because he had these songs, you know? So how did I end up talking to Rush Limbaugh? Cause he didn't do yeah, many what the heck. I mean, that's the main thing I'm thinking. And I'm thinking everybody listening, why when the world, I mean, was it about his radio program, a movie? No, what? we were at a convention. We were oh, at a convention and he was selling his television show. Uh, he was going to have a, a show that was like a Donahue I don't even know how to relate it to anything because there isn't a show like that yeah. in modern time. But it would be a host with an audience, a live audience. Well, Dr. Al Phil is the closest thing to it okay, yeah. probably today, except this would be, you know, with controversial subjects and whatever else. Yeah. But he was in the selling it. He wasn't doing interviews. I don't know what I said or what I did, or maybe I just snagged him. Yeah. For three minutes on his way. And I got him for whatever it was here, 10 or 12. What a cool And I thing. think he knew, you know, it's again, if you've just got a little bit of sense <laughs> with most people, yeah. you know, like, like a Henry Mancini or a Lionel Richie or whoever it is, yeah. if they even halfway know that you're not doing gotcha or you're not a nut or you're somebody who's done their homework right. and maybe knows what they're talking about, let's try it and see. Here is the great. Rush Limbaugh. I was watching some of the uh, publicity tapes for uh, your new TV show, and it really is amazing for a radio person. Radio people never get to see their audience unless they're doing a remote for a food store or something, mm -hmm. you know. And you really see your audience, and that that has to be make you have a little different feeling towards your audience than most. Well, I uh, you know I do a lot of personal appearances. I travel about thirty-five to forty weekends a year doing a stage show, a personal appearance. Seeing the audience is uh, a part of that. But I think what, what I try to do on the radio and, and try to translate to television is just be myself and, and not really pay so much attention to the way it ought to be done, the way it always has been done. Radio show has busted a whole bunch of rules of thumb. It's busted a lot of convention. And the, uh, the television show is going to do the same thing. 
Everybody is talking about you, and you're, you're very, very hot. Does it scare you a little bit that you're so hot that you know things that get that hot sometimes cool down a little bit? No, I, I, people ask me this in one vein or another. Are you a fad? Is this going to peak anytime soon? Is it going to burn out? I think because of the nature of the program and how it's uh, built and, and what the program, the, the program is event oriented. It's not guest oriented or, top, or driven or topic driven. It's event driven. It's always going to be current. It's always going to be spontaneous and, and unpredictable. And so it's never, I, I don't think it's going to have the features that are, are going to uh, qualify it for burnout. Uh, the best answer I can give you is the radio show. I started, gee, 1984, eight years ago in Sacramento, California. It's hotter than it's ever been. I've now been out of Sacramento doing this show longer than I was living there. And I think that's the best evidence, eight years, and it just continues to trend up. So, no, I've, I feel very confident. I think that's something about which I have uh, a lot of control, which gives me some confidence about it. I would easily say that you're very misunderstood. Uh, do you find that generally? Oh, gee, yeah, but sometimes that's good. I mean, I'm misunderstood in ways that uh, would give critics and uh, competitors the attitude, ah, we don't need to take this guy seriously, he's just an extremist, ah, he's, he's just a racist, he's a sexist, he's a homophobe, he's a bigot, he's, he's all of these things, which they think, uh, which is untrue, but they think it, and they're not going to take me seriously, and, and so that's a position I kind of like being. Uh, the audience understands me, and that's the key. Uh, this program uh, will be done, as the radio show is, for viewers. The idea of this show is to attract viewers, hold them for as long as we can so that we can charge confiscatory advertising rates. The same principle on the radio show. But it's, it's uh, not, I don't, I don't think that the uh, uh, misunderstanding among critics and other people in the business is going to be harmful at all. You've had some real wackos, uh, not attack you physically, but I guess they would have if they could have. Uh, what is it you're doing that, that's touching such a nerve on the uh, far left wing, I would probably think, in this country? Well, th there's a certain, there's, look, there's a reality and a truth out there that can't be denied, and it, it, people may want to argue about it, but the media, the major media, the dominant national media in this country is populated with people who, for the most part, are liberal. It's, it's fine. No quarrel with that. It's just a fact. And here comes this show, which is not. Uh, here's a show which pays allegiance to many of the institutions and traditions which have made the country great, which the national media doesn't represent. I mean, you look at primetime television, <laughs> books, newspapers, news, uh, many things that a lot of Americans believe in are made fun of and ridiculed, and this show doesn't do that. So it's filled that void, and it's skewering many of these sacred cows that have uh, been allowed to survive for the longest time. And I think that really is the, the short answer to your question. As a member of the media, have you uh, been burned by the media? Meaning quoted uh, oh, every oh, you know, you all, know the, all the time, all the time. I mean, I I've gotten a lot of press, a lot of local press. Interestingly enough, the best press that I have gotten has been the national stuff. The New York Times Sunday Magazine did a perhaps the definitive piece. The Los Angeles Times Sunday Magazine a tremendous piece. It's when I go out into local markets that some of the uh, highfalutin local editorialists and so forth want to make their point and use me as the means by which to prove theirs and and some of it is uh, the gross misrepresentations and all that but I mean that's part of the territory and I've uh, I've developed a thick skin about it, it used to bother me uh, you know I, I want to be liked like everybody else and respected like everybody else wants to be but uh, I have discovered that you know people take this political stuff uh, real seriously Donahue I, I get along with him fine we have total disagreements he's a nice guy 
But there are a lot of liberals who will refuse to be seen or associate with me because they think it somehow damaged their credibility. Or I, the usual question I get, thank you for not doing it, uh, is, all right, who are you to breathe? Who are you to be alive with what you believe and so forth? That generally constitutes the opening salvo, the people you're talking about. But I've developed a way to deal with them now. So you're picking up on uh, Mr. Reagan's silent majority, you think? Well, see, I think this country has always had a great percentage of conservative people. And I think that, we'll go back to the national media thing. Most of the reason why they're silent majority is because things they believe in are made fun of. And it takes a leader to make them confident and bring them out. And Reagan did that. I think they're always been there. I, I think if you look at what some of the Democratic candidates for president are talking about doing, tax cuts. Gee, when was the last time you ever heard a Democrat suggest that? Uh, that's a conservative principle in New Jersey today. They just signed into law, a Democratic governor just signed into law a bill which caps the number of kids welfare recipient mothers can get. And the National Organization for Women's all upset, but it was a black Democrat who did this. I, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a recognition that that kind of thinking in the middle class is tired of bearing this burden. They're conservative people. And, and uh, Democrats are starting to, in some cases, uh, appeal to them better than President Bush is. I think that, that the country has always had a, a large percentage of conservative people that have just not been uh, catered to by the media for the most part. You mostly stick, uh, you, you get on every subject, but political commentary is kind of your thing, isn't it? That your hot button? Yeah, well, that's my, that's my passion. What I do, I think, is uh, combine two approaches. There is irreverence, not just a sense of humor, but irreverence and a serious discussion of issues in the same show. And I, and this is not a criticism, again, it's just an observation. I don't know of another show where that happens. Uh, if Ted Koppel, for example, ever tried to get funny, I don't know how it would be accepted. The audience isn't tuned in for that. And if Leno or Letterman ever really got serious about what they believe, I think, oh, wait, I'm uncomfortable. This show does both, and uh, the television show will do both. And I, I think that, again, is going to set it apart. We're all big kids in broadcasting anyway, if we're honest about it, because we still get thrilled when we know someone's watching us or seeing us. Who has thrilled you that you, I found out, Henry Mancini, by the way, listens to you all the time. It came out in an interview that we were talking oh, really? about. Yes. really? I didn't know that. Because I, I found out, I've been interviewing musicians a lot lately, and they're all listening to talk radio because they're burned out on music. Henry Mancini, Huey Lewis, all these kind of people. Who have you found out that listens to you that's just thrilled you? Well, Reagan. Um some sports people. I'm a, I'm a big sports nut. Uh, these, are, these are tough questions. I was thinking, who's, who, who's the most beautiful Hollywood actress? I mean, I know, but now I'm going into a, I'm freezing trying to think of, of well, who. It's but, a pretty big hit. It's nice to know he's uh, listening. Yeah, but there have, there's, 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 there have been so many um, that have, that have some of them I've met, too. Uh, and it is, you're right, it is a big thrill. You, you know, uh, especially for me, I've, all my life I've done local talk. You sit in a, in a local market, they have a little studio and so forth, and uh, you may become a big fish in a little market or you may not. Going national, the surroundings don't change. I mean, your environment is still the same. It's a little studio, the microphone, but all of a sudden, 50 states, Guam and Puerto Rico are listening. And I have not conceived that in my mind. I don't picture that, and I haven't changed my approach. And so there's a lot of it that's flattering and surprising when I hear all these people that uh, that listen and enjoy it. That's key when they say they enjoy it too. Did it make you mad uh, initially? And I won't, we'll use this name in the question. It won't come out in the interview. I mean, Larry King. People, your fans would call 
I, I call them fans as opposed to listeners because I think they are. Uh, they called the Larry King Show. What about Rush Limbaugh? I don't even know who he is. I mean, people just, you kind of sneaked up on people, didn't you? Yeah, well, I've never been a networker, and I've never been one to read the trades and correspond with the, uh, the movers and shakers in the trades, especially since I got back into the business the second time. I quit after 12 years, after thinking I'd failed at it, and went into uh, sports marketing for the Kansas City Royals and got back into it. And my attitude about it the second time in has been totally different than the first 12 years I was in it. And I, I did sneak up. Who is this guy? Never heard of this guy. I never used my real name in radio the first 12 years. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. That stuff used to bother me. I mean, I'm like anybody else. I'm no different. I'm a human being. And in, in my business, with my peers, everybody would love to be uh, respected and liked. And so we're all in this together. But uh, it isn't going to happen for, you know, human characteristics, jealousy, envy, what have you. And so, you know, all that stuff has just served to... Uh, me a thick skin. A man who had no shortage of opinions and no shortage of people who loved and hated him. <laughs> That's a fact. One of a kind rush buried in Belfont Cemetery in St. Louis, St. Louis, Missouri. His wife, he's got a book coming out uh, really soon. Yeah. His wife, Catherine, and his brother put it together. And it's kind of like the greatest hits of his show with some other things. And I believe he did work on it at the last bit before he passed away so he, he was a very limbo what can i say he was a very very rich man too he he was one of those guys that capitalized on his talent. oh yeah I mean, he made a lot of money he made a lot of money and uh he had bestsellers he had oh, seven yeah. books yeah i think he he was one of those rare people that made money on writing a book yeah no kidding and, uh, he he was controversial now this guy was not controversial no i mean i guess everybody um mother hubbard in the cupboard was contra everybody's controversial <laughs> i guess yeah. but but Paul Harvey was not, and he was a voice of news, uh, and certainly in the seventies. And Paul Harvey was just one of the coolest broadcasters. He worked out of Chicago. He had so many things that he did, you know, that he was just unique. And he did the news, and he did it in a unique way. Yes, he did. And I guess people, the rest of the story were definitely that was very popular. Yeah. Uh, he was syndicated. ABC put him out. He came over the ABC radio network. Mornings and middays reached as many as 24 million people per week, which is maybe more than that. He was from Oklahoma, and he didn't do interviews. So that was the first question I had for Paul Harvey. You know, are you okay with doing this? Mr. Harvey, do you really like being on the other side of the reporter's mic? No, no, this this isn't my choice, Jimmy. Thank you very much. Do you mind if I interview interview you instead? That's that, no, no, thank you, no, thank you. Uh, it's a little different though, having to answer questions than ask them, though, isn't it? Yes, of course it is. I uh, I'm always flattered by this kind of attention, but I'm so much more comfortable when uh, when I can be challenging somebody else's intellect. A little classification here. Do you consider yourself a reporter or a commentator? When I started in broadcasting, Jimmy, we were all very carefully categorized. You first started out as a news reporter. Then when you got a few miles on you, and better than average betting average, you were allowed to call yourself a news analyst. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, after you'd weathered a few more storms and had uh, established a degree of responsibility, you were allowed to call yourself a commentator. Now, of course, all those lines are blurred. Now almost everybody calls himself a a reporter or an anchor or whatever it is. But they're all commenting. They're commenting only by what they toss in the wastebasket and what they use. 
it seems much more honest to me to just call it, call it Paul Harvey News and comment and then view the world from my own perspective and let people understand that that's what it is. Have you ever gotten any trouble or criticism over the years for blurring the line sometimes maybe? Oh, of course. Of course, it took people a lot of years to get used to the idea, but I think everybody is now. You know, there's, there's no longer much criticism of that because everybody understands that what they're listening to is Paul Harvey news. I was asking you earlier before we started taping, but I'll ask you anyway. I know you ask about the secret of your success. Do you think it's that you have a mind like what maybe middle America or that silent majority, whatever that was that Nixon used to talk about? I certainly try for that. I think Midwest Roots is a tremendous asset, Jimmy. Oh my goodness. I couldn't, I couldn't be 90 days back in New York or even in Washington, D.C. and not uh, become myopic. Soon I would start to think that the sun rises behind the UN building and it sets mm -hmm. in the Appalachians and that's all there is to this country. And of course you and I know that's not all there is. That's a help. Geographically to be home based in Chicago and to be traveling middle America two or three days every week. That's a big asset. But also I've tried to keep in my mind's eye a mental picture of, of one of my wife's sisters, Betty Ruth. I think of Aunt Betty sometimes. She is not to the scholar that my wife was. She's a fine, loyal, wonderful, God-fearing American housewife. Not a Phi Beta Kappa, but she's the epitome of grassroots America. And when I finish a, an essay, we'll say pipelines in Bessarabia or something of this sort, I have to say to myself, now does Aunt Betty mm -hmm. understand that? If she doesn't, I rewrite it. Or does Aunt Betty care about that? And if she doesn't, I throw it in the wastebasket. Why, you've had such great success with the ABC radio network. Why have there been no Paul Harvey clones placed on us? In this society, we always want to copy success. And I don't know of anyone who's ever tried to even copy you. I'm not sure. I'm not sure the networks will allow another Paul Harvey to develop. I'm really not sure of that. I'm sure the president of our network must cut himself shaving a lot of mornings when he's listening to that fellow out there with all those, with that great degree of latitude, with, with such a wide-ranging prerogative. Either that will happen, there won't be any more, or something else will happen with the multiplicity of media cascading in upon us, including cable and all of its kindred. I think we may revert, as we once did in radio, to offering the listener a wide spectrum of opinion. Commentary from left to right. Then the listener can choose for himself. I think that's the more wholesome uh, eventuality. In listening to you over the years, I know that you have a very positive view of America and the future. Many people always say there's doom in the future, but you oh, say yeah. the opposite. Jimmy, anyway. uh, how do you get that opinion? I mean, I'm, I can't be an expert on all of these things we're called upon to, to expert, but I am something of a student of history. And every pessimist ever in history has been buried in an unmarked grave. They always were wrong. Tomorrow always has been better than today. And it will be, and especially now. Oh my goodness, in our nation, this is, this is our shining hour. This is the only land in the world where people are standing in line waiting to get in instead of 
braving stormy seas in small boats, dying, trying to get out. Oh my, what a, what a wonderful time. If you could choose a time and a place in all history for yourself in which you would want to live, this would have to be the time. This would have to be the place. In our own industry, the technology that's cascading in upon us is, is, is such that I can't describe it now because the words for what we'll be doing tomorrow aren't even in the dictionary yet. But do you have any advice for someone like a President Bush coming in? If he was to listen to your commentary and you wrote him a letter, what would you tell him to uh, maybe look out for? For the fact that there are sore losers in our midst who have not given up. And there are congressmen named Wright who are more likely to be wrong, who would like to keep the Washington establishment intact and continue to run, them, run things their own way. Uh, that would be my counsel to him in his, uh, in his effort to, to get along with this Washington establishment, including the Washington-based news media. He must not desert the people who elected him or we'll end up with the kind of government we just got through voting against. Well, thank you a lot, Mr. Harvey. You remind me very much of an Art Link letter. You get younger instead oh, of older. Oh, what a nice compliment. Thank you. Thank you, <laughs> thank you, Jimmy. The great Paul Harvey, and I do mean that sincerely. Uh, a lot of people, including me, looked up to him. He just had a way of selling the product because he did a lot of live commercials. Yes, he did. He had a way of telling a story. Uh, I remember I made it on the Paul Harvey show one day. I had been involved with the life-saving deal of a young child. And I, I can almost remember hearing it now. He said, um, Jimmy Carter saved a life today. Not that Jimmy Carter, our man in Montgomery. And then he goes on to tell the oh, story. Oh, that's cool. That is cool. Do you and, have that uh, anywhere? That was, I mean, do you have the footage? Of I that? Have, no, I don't think so. You I mean, because it's you know, there and gone. But I have it up here. Yeah, you know, I have yeah, it in my head. Great. I love it. And uh, it's just, you know, that was that, that was really, really amazing to hear yourself on Paul Harvey oh, on the yeah. story. But again, if you've never heard of Paul Harvey or you've never heard of Rush Limbaugh, you're probably not listening to us right now anyway, because <laughs> there's no way that you'd be this far into this podcast without knowing who these people are. I love it. Uh, very love interesting it. men. Their voices were unique. Yes. And uh, charismatic. Yes. And, uh, Really, uh, both are, as you say, one of a kind. I agree wholeheartedly. Iconic, uh, to say the least. And uh, and I don't know who comes behind them, but Jimmy, I certainly enjoy these vault episodes every week. I mean, it seems like you pull some kind of rabbit out of the hat. When you <laughs> sent this to me, I'm like, who interviews Rush Limbaugh and, and then follows it up with Paul Harvey, two guys that you've never seen on any interview on TV. Yeah, it's kind of like heaven in the baseball world, Mickey Mantle followed right. by Roger Maris. Right. You know, it's, <laughs> Doesn't it's, get any uh, better than that, folks. Thanks for listening. Dokey. Jimmy, appreciate you each and every week. Tune in for the vault on Sweeping the Country next week. Who knows what rabbit Jimmy will pull <laughs> out of the hat. Good day. Good day.